from the fabulous and famous Fitzpatrick's Castle Hotel in Dublin, Ireland. You're listening to the award-winning What's the Story podcast. Now, here's your hosts, Danny Murray and Graham Merrow Merrigan. Hello and welcome along to chapter 38 of What's the Story podcast. I'm Danny Murray, my partner in crime is alongside me. Graham Merrigan. How are you, Graham? <laughs> Graham Merrow Merrigan. Thank you. How are you? I love you. I said your own name this I week. I don't know why. <laughs> just, you did some... Is it because I kind of, I left a little bit of a cliff edge there? And yeah, were but like, you had your hand, your theatrics with your I hands. Was, yeah. And and I was, yeah. I was like... It, yeah, this is an audio presentation, but I get handsy. <laughs> yeah, very handsy. <laughs> I was thinking, oh, you cornered me there, but yeah, hi, how are you? I'm great, man. How are you? Good. You look amazing. Thank you. I love your beard. I feel great. Yeah, you look great. Thank you. A lot better than how you were last week when we talked about that. Oh, stop. On demand, good man. And we are brought to you in association with the wonderful and amazing Fitzpatrick's Castle Hotel in the beautiful surroundings of South County Dublin. Great place, a lovely pair, man. Yeah, great views. With that stretch in the evening, now, there's a great view from, Definitely. from our studio. Yeah, our, our beautiful studio, yeah. Um, actually, it was a lovely night I was walking in. There was a girl playing the piano. <laughs> yeah, I got in the lift. <laughs> I got in the lift and I thought it was the lift music. Then yeah, the lift door opened and there real. she was. Yeah, deadly it was. I, I thought said. she was playing for me. Playing to the room, Graham. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah um, so a bit of atmospheric music up here and everything for you. It's how it's lovely just going up here and, and kind of nursing a beverage and having that in the background with a nice open fire. Amazing views just out the hot window. Hot chocolate, I'd have a hot chocolate. Would you go with marshmallows or no marshmallows? Absolutely marshmallows. Beautiful. I'm more of a Did team, you see man. um oh. the place in town? Some uh, donut place does a marsh a warm marshmallow Oreo donut. No, I did not. A- Angel danger. Yeah, I I've heard they, they also do the cronut, I believe. What's the cronut? It's like a croissant donut. Cross. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've I've heard of it. I would be interested in the cronut now, but mm. warm marshmallow in the I donut. I don't think I could deal with that. I think I could, man. I'd, I'd say you'd probably die, though. I'm probably two Mars bars away from a coronary, as we are. Like, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I went for that, like, I tell you, there's a certain girl who used to be on this podcast that Roundhouse kicked her head <laughs> off me. <laughs> two Mars bars away from a coronary. I'm telling you. A Mars a day keeps a doctor away. No, it doesn't. You used to be a bite away. Yeah, that's true. So I'm, I'm progressing. Yeah, but you know slowly. I mean? um, but, yeah, I am... Um, Somewhere that won't give you a coronary is the uh, the Dungeon Bar and Grill in Fitzpatrick's. Feels delish, man. <laughs> great segue. Thanks very much. I've been working on that. Um, they are great. I actually, I just love it up here, man. I'm so happy that we, they actually accepted us. Yeah. With their arms. With open arms. And they embraced us. It's great. Fitzpatrick'sCastle.com. Check them out. And if you're going to head up for a beverage or a bite or whatever, tell them we sent you. They're great people. We love them. Graham, yes. As you know, I have in the last couple of months become borderline obsessive with Mount Everest. Yeah, and documentaries, and books, and films, and books as well. Books, yeah. How many books did you read at a time? Oh, I'd probably do two at a time. Two at a time? Does that not mm. like wreck with your head or anything? No, because I'm weird. I either do two of completely different topics, or two on pretty much the exact same topic, so that I can compare sources. Look at you, that's the real college yeah. head in you, isn't it? So, uh, the book Into Thin Air, Into Thin Air, <laughs> Into Thin Air, <laughs> <laughs> I, went, I went full culture there, didn't I? Into Thin Air. <laughs> Into Thin Air. 
<laughs> into thin air um, by John Crinan. I can't remember his name. Just the uh, the journalist that was with the guys on the infamous 1996 uh, Everest attempt that went horribly wrong. That what the movie is based on. Um, his book, and then the Russian guy from Mountain Madness, Antoly, something or other. His book, The Climb. See. The, the first one into thin air kind of is critical of him and says like I was climbing out oxygen that's reckless blah blah kind of has a little bit of a pop at him like really um, and then your man Antony brought out a book has a pop at him for what for his he kind of the way he put it was kind of like sacrifice himself maybe to help others no he kind of said like that he kind of left the summit before everybody else did and descended back down to camp beforehand he was climbing out oxygen all this kind of stuff where and he was camp leader was he no, well, he was one of kind of, he was definitely one of the strongest climbers. Sure, he reached the summit and survived everything without oxygen. Like, um, but his response was more so. No, I knew something was coming. I seen there was five other guides with them. I started to head back down early to put myself in a position that if a rescue attempt was needed, I'd be rested and rehydrated and able to do it. Like, okay. Which he did, because when the shit hit the fan, he was able to go back out and bring people in. Like, Okay. So, yeah, them two books are very good. I haven't read a book in ages. I'm a big fan of books. Um, I used to be, but then I just, I don't know why, I just... Yeah. I used to read a lot of autobiographies, but when I was... I read the, the damn Brown books. The Da Vinci Code and whatnot? The Da Vinci Code, yeah. and... Jesus, I can't even remember the name of the others. Anyway, what I was saying... Yeah. <laughs> What I was saying about this was... I loved when home. you were obsessing over Everest, though, because you'd send me documentary uh, suggestions. Yeah. And I, I loved watching them. And actually, I watched Everest as well. Everest The movie. Recently, Everest, the movie, was excellent. Yeah, very, very good. Um, but our guest tonight is somebody who's actually been to the very top. He's climbed Everest he's successfully. He was the youngest Irish man, Irish person ever, to have successfully summited Everest. I'm delighted to talk to you. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't um, it crazy? Yeah. So we're going to be talking to him a little bit. Ian Taylor is his name. Um, he climbed it in 2008. May 2008 he climbed it. And um, he's now like a motivational speaker. He leads expeditions. And he's climbed Kilimanjaro 18 times. 18 times. I haven't climbed Bray Hill three times. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I don't even know if I've been to the top of Cliney Hill 18 times. <laughs> <laughs> He's climbing Kilimanjaro 18 <laughs> times. Like, that is crazy. Yeah, it is nuts, actually, isn't it? Um, and he's currently in training to lead a group through a new route to the South Pole. I don't even know how that, like, how am I talking about that? Because, like, how, yeah. how do you find a new route to the South Pole? Yeah. I would have kind of thought, like... How do you get approval for it? Because I would have thought that all these routes would have been, like... They would have been approved through guidelines and stuff like that. Yeah. Does like, he have to propose this route first before undertaking it? I don't know. So you have to ask him. See, it's weird, right? Because the Antarctic is a continent, whereas like the North Pole is just polar ice caps. Yeah. So technically, if this global warming thing actually does happen and all the North ice melts, then the North Pole will be on water. Whereas the South Pole is on land because it's a continent. Yeah. So... How do you get a new route? It's not like there's roads around. Yeah. 
So I just, I don't know, I'm confused by this. Is he going to come from it from the other side? Because you know what I, there's another thing that baffles me. I just can't get my head around this. And it's going to sound very, very silly, right? The world is a globe, a sphere. Yeah. So, so is people it, say it's flat. They do when they're weird and wrong, right? <laughs> <laughs> is he going to come from, like, do you know what I mean? So say, like, everybody comes from, say, let's say the New Zealand side. Is he going to come from, like, the opposite side, I wonder? Like, you know, Chile or something. Or Argent, the very, very tip of Argentina. Yeah. Come that way. Down, like, near the Falkland Islands. That's what you know, in. I was actually at the um, centre in in New Zealand where the adventurers, it's the last stop, last kind of land stop before they head off on their adventures. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. The New Zealand side, is, I know that's where they go from. And yeah. because, technically, this is another thing that I'm getting geeky about, right? Antarctica, because time is done on the... Longitude and latitude and all that. Yeah. Right? But because Antarctica is technically the arse of the globe. Yeah. That doesn't apply. Okay. It effectively doesn't have a time zone because the sun never really gets high enough or anything like that. So they just use New Zealand time because that's where you stop last before. You stop last, yeah. Well, before, when, there's a there's a great little um, kind of, it's it's an adventure centre but an interactive centre as well. Like you go into this uh, simulator and it, 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 it gives you... Um, temperature you put you basically you go below freezing you go in, in, into a storm for about 20 seconds and it's crazy i don't think i'd like that no i was in it and i was fucking freezing so, i was man. watching people because there's a screen where you can watch people and before doing it i was saying um look at them overreacting and all <laughs> overreacting overreacting <laughs> do you want to feel my chair it was frozen say so, yeah it was, it's it was, crazy it, like. it was a crazy experience it was deadly those simulators are great over there yeah I, I was in one sorry to go on no, a tangent no, no, but I was in one with the weather I can't remember that Christ, I think it's Christchurch or Wellington where it's the centre before the adventures it's the last stop before they head off but also in New Zealand I was in a, a simulator um, where it was the the strongest earthquake in New Zealand history. Oh, right, yeah. And you're in a simulator where the room just rocks. And again, you're watching people saying, would they ever stop overreacting? And then you're in <laughs> it and you're like, Jesus, get me out of here quick. It's mad, isn't it? It's like, crazy. Simulators are very crazy. Yeah, they make your stomach torn, but they're deadly. Wheels. Yeah, yeah, they're deadly though. Um, but I'm really looking forward to talking to this guy because obviously the borderline obsessive thing of Everest and now Actually, only since researching this guy, I've kind of started to get a little bit on the South Pole too. I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's mad, like. Yeah, add all this to your polar pairs as well. And, oh, man, Obsession polar, with polar yeah, bears. That's it, yeah. Easy way to differentiate yeah. the North Pole and the South Pole. Polar bears, North, Penguin, South. Is that it? That's the easy way to differentiate Is there no polar bears on the South Pole? Nope. Why? No, I don't know. They just prefer the North, I guess. That's mental. Yeah. Are, you, are you taking the piss? No, genuinely. Penguin, South Pole, polar bears, North Pole. That's mad, isn't it? Did you yeah. see the David Beckham thing where he went to the South Pole? No. He wanted to play a football match in every continent. So he played a football match in Antarctica? And he went to Antarctica. That's madness. Yeah, he went there to Antarctica uh, on the jet from New Zealand. Jeez. Oh no, we went from the South America side. Ah, you see, that's what I was talking about earlier. Yeah, he, yeah. Went, from the South, he went from Chile or somewhere. Yeah, see, that's the, the, the most southern tip of like Chile and Argentina is like pretty close to it. and like It gets really cold there because... Yeah. They're not that far away. It was a good documentary, um, and he played football in Antarctica with all the scientists that are based there. there yeah, there's a camp that's or a, a research centre that's been there since like 1955, I want to say. Yeah. And it's 
year round there's people in there yeah it's crazy that's like, who we went to play but they didn't know what was going on Deadly. to make a football pitch on the ice <laughs> Brilliant. That was a great documentary. It was out over like, Christmas oh, yeah. on BBC. You should try and... I can't even remember the name of it, but... I'm it sure if you... It's for UNICEF. David Beckham's UNICEF Challenge. I'm sure if you just Google David Beckham Gold Antarctica, is. it'll... But yeah, definitely yeah. pop up. It's very good. But um, it's mad down there. But like that's only one part of what we're going to be talking this vlog about. Like, the Everest yeah. side of it alone, I'm, I'm buzzing about. Like Yeah. Everest, because... Uh, the whole Everest thing is mind-blowing. It is. This... Ian Taylor... Uh, has a company as well that specializes in bringing people to uh, IanTaylorTrekking.com if you're interested specializes in bringing them to Everest Base Camp and the different camps of Everest but I don't think they actually bring it to the summit because as we'll find out talking to him when he was up there he said in interviews like like they've asked him like what was going through your head when you reached the summit of Everest expecting a big poignant answer something beautiful he was like I don't want to die that's mental, isn't it? So that is like... It's mental. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. It's just... It's but mental, like, but people live and breathe the challenge of getting to Everest. But this is, like, this whole summit fever thing, like, when you hear or watch people who have climbed it or have attempted to climb it, like, they're told, stop, turn back, or you will die. Yeah. And people in their group are told that, and they still proceed because they're like, I can see it. I want it. And they might reach the summit. And I can't remember who it was. Somebody really famous said, like, uh, getting to the top is optional. But coming back down is compulsory. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's the way it works. Like, yeah. you can reach the summit. But if you don't get back down, it's not worth a shit to it's you. It's not worth it all, no. You know? And that's... I, I, can't, I can't get my head around the fact that um, the temperature difference, at some points it could be minus 40 mm. or plus 40. It's great. That's yeah, mental. It's, and the wind chill Isn't it? and all that sort of stuff. Like, it's just... It is insane. Like and it's the just storms that they get, man. That's if anybody hasn't seen Everest the movie. Like I was, it was to be honest, your little girly boy band uh, obsession with Everest got me into watching yeah. all the yeah, documentaries. No, that's a fair point. And the movies, and uh, I'd strongly recommend because I didn't think anything of going out of way to watch Everest, and I watched it recently, and it was it was excellent. It, it is absolutely insane. Right. Like that, the frostbite scares the bejesus out of me. Beck Weathers, yeah, Beck Weather, man. If you don't know anything, if you, look, if you haven't seen the film Everest or you know nothing about it other than it's the tallest mountain in the world and it's far away from Ireland, just Google Beck Weathers and read his story. I'm not going to tell you. Or about just um, on YouTube, watch the Dark Side of Everest as well. That documentary is amazing. That's crazy, man. Yeah, that is like. <laughs> That will highlight actually everything we're trying to convey about the death zone and all these places on Everest. There was a like, bit of an angle on that documentary as well, wasn't there? In just, what sense? You just mentioned the two books there previously yeah. where um, someone didn't like someone. But I felt there was a part of that dark side of Everest where... The South had, Africans? Yeah. The, yeah, the, that that is one of the biggest they were like, controversies. It, what's, what's, was, was their leader, was their camp leader okay? A question was put to Beck Wetters' wife. Hmm. Um, I can't remember because I, I I watched it a little bit ago and I can't really remember. The yeah, but no, it, but it was there was, there was hints o of an animos animosity there. Hundred percent, yeah. And uh, Cathy O'Dowd, who was one of the South African climbers who managed to reach the summit and get back down, like a week or two after the disaster, like essentially the disaster hit, and the South Africans claimed that they were too inexperienced and not able for the conditions to go out and mount a search and rescue. 
So when the National Geographic team, who were like a camp below, heard what was going on, essentially the first conversation they had was, how quick can we get ready to mount a rescue search? The simple rule on Everest for a lot of people is, if you can't move yourself, we can't help you. Because your body is using so much energy. You're like 27,000 feet above sea level. Mm. That's Our, me- that's even mental to think, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so like your body uses so much energy trying to just get you to do simple, simple things that you can't physically carry somebody or move somebody or do these things. Like, So the, the, the National Geographic lads, anyway, got their gear together, started heading up the mountain, and they reached the next camp where the South Africans were. And they were like, what's the situation, blah, blah, blah. The South Africans were kind of like, we, we can't, we don't, we're not able for this. Like, we have Sherpas, though. And the Sherpas said, if somebody knows where they're going, they can help. Obviously, we can't force them to. That's not how it works, like, but we can help. So the South Africans were kind of going in and out of our tent to check other tents to see if people had come back or what was going on or whatever. But then when the National Geographic team went over to them to use their radios, they were like, we don't want to be involved. So that started like a bit of, ooh, what's going on? Like, so crazy. It's mad. And there's like two or three different events or different versions of that story. Oh, man, so yeah. You know the way they, they count the number of like, I think 150 odd people have died on the attempt. Yeah, more than uh, that now. More yeah. than that now. But does that include Sherpas? Yeah. It does. It does, yeah. Um, it, it, it's, it's mad. Like, I'm one of the things that. It's almost a morbid question, but we'll definitely be asking about that because one of the weird things about Everest is that there are bodies there. Like, yeah, and yeah. if you want to reach the summit of Everest, you're going to pass by some. Well, they show know, it in the dark side. Uh, yeah, the dark side of Everest. You know, and part of it. Is that a body? Yeah, and part of it for people is they will be climbing up and they may come across somebody who is alive at the time, but they they just can't move. And you have to take that decision then of. Very sorry, but good luck, you know. God bless. And that's, that's part of the controversy of Everest, that people do that. They just, okay, look, there's nothing we can do. Carry on. Whereas other people are kind of like, you should at least have the decency to spend the last moments that person has with them so they're not alone. They're like, not alone, yeah. You know? There's nothing like that. It's kind of like, you know, I need you to get up. Uh, you're, uh, and then there was, a, there was a part in the documentary where... Um, a, a guy who was um who was who wasn't injured or whatever he was full of beans was saying to a guy that was injured, "Come on, we need you to come down, to, yeah. to come down off the mountain." He's like, "I oh, know, I'm waiting for John, oh, but John's unconscious. He's going to be dead in ten minutes. That's right. You're yeah. going to be unconscious if you don't hurry up now. Come mm-hmm. on, it's just not disregard, but it, well, is it disregard? There's an element of it. I would There's say. an element of it yeah. in the language, certainly." Where you're kind of going, is life worth it just to climb a mountain? Yeah, like, it it, it definitely does stuff to people's brains. Yeah. Definitely. And I know they talk about kind of like, because... Do people just do it for, uh, like, do some, some people just do it for opportunity after the climb is done? Career opportunity? Partially. Like, one of the things is that when Edmund Hillary and um, Norzik, his sheriff, they were the first two people to reach the summit. Or the first two people on record. It may have done, been done before them, but nobody... Ever recorded it was in the fifties, wasn't it? Nineteen fifty-three. Fifty-three, yeah. Once they reached the summit, that was it. Anybody else who does it after that, it's just doing it for selfish reasons, or like that's what people say. Yeah. I, I personally can't have an opinion on it because, yeah, you, don't you know, know. But um, they're kind of like, 
whoever got there first is the one that gets the credit. But anybody after that, that's just you're you're doing it for yourself. Like you're doing mm. it because the fair enough. And why do they think that? <sighs> why do people think that? I don't know because because I'm not an adventurer. I'm not a mountaineer, so I don't maybe have that mindset. But I guess from reading about it and from watching different things and a people's kind of thing is that for you to go out and risk your life to do this, it's a selfish thing. It's a, to say like, I've done it. Yeah. I've been there. I've climbed. I've done this. Like. Yeah. So like one of the things for people is to climb it from the north side and the south side. Like, so there's two different routes. You can either come from the south side of Everest or the north side of Everest. There's two different routes. And there's people, like, you're one, the South African, Cathy uh, O'Dowd, she was bidden in 96 to become, uh, or was it 96, 97? I think she she reached the summit in 96 from one side. And in 97, I think she was trying to do it from another side. I could have the dates wrong. Mm. She was bidden to become the first woman to ever have done that. Like, um, But, yeah, it's crazy. And then, yeah, like, it's just... Some of the stories you hear are just like even going through it in my head and kind of like there's like, there is literally you have to step over people yeah yeah to, to get, get there. there and you're doing you are doing it for yourself ultimately mm. now, you might have a charity or something like that that's yeah you know but at, like, the, at the end of the day like I guess raise thousands for yeah the school the, and yeah, Uganda the fields ever school yeah fields of life charity and um, check them out it's great work he's doing for them he mm. does it for them all the time like but yeah. Look, I suppose we might as well talk to somebody who has actually been there yeah, and who, can who knows actually, what they're talking about. Who can actually tell us <laughs> Instead about Instead of us couch with that, it's just watching films and documentaries exactly, and, and reading books. And saying we know everything about it. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, this, Who bevers? This man... I'd do it tomorrow if I wanted, let's face it. <laughs> <laughs> with oxygen or without oxygen? <laughs> Whatever I wanted. Depends, <laughs> depends how I feel when I wake up. Uh, get a bottle of cornflakes into your brand. Yeah, look, Ian Taylor is our guest this week. And I am really, really excited about talking to this guy. He's fascinating and amazing with what he's achieved. So here's hoping that uh, he can give us a few tips and me and Graham will go out and climb Bray Head in the morning. <laughs> can only heal first, come on. Start, <laughs> One start, step at a time. Start easy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ian Taylor coming up next. Um, Ian, thanks very much for giving us your time, first and foremost. No problem. You're... An adventurer, mountaineer, explorer, motivational speaker. Like, is there anything you don't do? Or... <laughs> um, well, when you work for yourself, you got to do everything. you got to throw yourself out there and try and do as much as possible. Um, you know, even doing the adventure and the travel and the, the climbs, you know, we're con- constantly trying to reinvent um, what we can do. You know, when I, I climbed Everest... Seven years ago, 2008, and, uh, you know, nowadays, when it comes to speaking or anything, um, Everest really isn't big enough anymore, um, although the mountain can't get any bigger. You know, <laughs> people are doing more different challenges, different, you know, different things that are pushing the limit, and, um, you know, it's, we're constantly re- looking to uh, to get out there and push the limit, and I think that's, it's not like, it's not that we're trying to go out and kill ourselves, but we're we're um there's a lot to be learned from from doing these types of adventures and, and trips all over the world so there's um there's real value in it so i'm constantly looking at how we can do something new or do something different or um and then bring other people along to experience something different that no one else is doing so uh 
it's a fun journey, you know. I get to I, I'm in the states at the moment, traveling, um, training for a new trip next year in Antarctica, and I get to go. I'm back in Ireland on Monday, then I'm in Norway on Wednesday. Um, I have two Americans coming over uh, to tour Ireland with myself and my wife for a week, and we've got helicopter rides and. Uh, five-star hotels lined up for them and then we head off to the Himalayas for three weeks um, so it's it's definitely a an interesting lifestyle it's hard you know that's, I, I I never want to say that it's a hard uh, <laughs> it's it's you know when other people are slaving away doing jobs that they don't want to be doing I don't want to take it to that level but I mean it's hard you got I'm away from home now for two months um, but you know, at the at the end of it, we're do, I'm doing something I want to be doing, and it's a uh, it's a life worth living. It it certainly sounds action action packed. Um, you, you touched there. We'll talk about Everest and that uh, definitely, but you touched there on the expedition you're currently training for, um, which yeah. is to Antarctica and a new route to the South Pole. Can can you tell us yeah. a little bit about that? So, yeah, probably since I was in my teenage years, if I wanted to go to Antarctica. And, um, you know, when you start looking at doing new things or new routes or longer distances or whatever it may be, um, these things have massive price tags. And to do a trip like this, you know, with a team of four people is it's really a half a million dollars. Um, and um, I suppose for a decade I've been trying to find the right people to do it with. And, you know, I've been building a small team. Um, there's four of us now. And, you know, we've been slowly building towards it. But you can't really do anything when there's those sort of figures involved. You know, when we were climbing Everest, for example, I had to make a decision whether I could afford to go or not. And, you know, we went on a cheaper trip, but it was still 30,000 euro at the time. And I, you know, went into my savings and took a loan out. And it was achievable, you know. It was a sacrifice, but it was achievable where, you know, now when you're, you know, you need a hundred and something thousand to do, you know, this is just out of the realm of most people um, that are trying to do these things. So sponsors are always a, a way to do that. And we have had somebody come in to, to fund the whole expedition and um, which is quite unique and amazing. So once you take the financials out of it, um, you know, then it's just down to your training, preparation and what are we going to do? So, you know, this team we met again there in December. Uh, as I said, I've been thinking about this for probably about 15 years um, and working on it all the time behind the scenes, trying to make sure or how to do it. Um, but really what we decided to do is do an unsupported route, a new route to the South Pole. So starting on the coast in a place that no one's ever um, skied from before, we will ski 1300 kilometers from that point up the Union Glacier, up a part of Antarctica that no one's ever been on before. And we will map out a new route to the South Pole. And um, it's, yeah, it's a 60 days. It's, I think we're going to have to cover about 25 kilometers every day, uh, pulling 110 kilos um, behind us when we start. Obviously, that'll get lighter. But then we have to go uphill from sea level all the way to almost 10,000 feet. The pole sits at 10,000 feet, which is about almost 3,000 meters. So, um, yeah, 60 days of walking, 25 kilometers, the same terrain. The sun is up 24 hours a day, circling around you. 
um, you know, there's something to be learned by that. And we're hoping to to challenge ourselves. We're filming a documentary asking the question, why? Um, and we've got some, you know, renowned uh, climbers and explorers looking at going to be a part of the documentary. No one wants to, to sit and look at a couple of lads walking across Antarctica for 60 days. But <laughs> we're going to try and tackle the question of why. Because everyone I ever meet says, you know, why? Why do this? Why do, you know? And, um, you know, we I suppose I have an idea in my head of why. But it might come more, it might be more interesting to ask that question when I'm actually in the middle of something that's, you know, minus 30 nasty storm and i'm in a tent on day 30 questioning why why would you even want to be here um away from family and home you know home and and, and and all that so i suppose that's you know and then we you know we like to do expeditions to help other people when we climbed everest we built a school uh, the mount everest primary school we raised seventy thousand dollar euro to do it it was like 80 children now they're you know years later there's They've got a kindergarten project. They've got seven classrooms. They've got teachers' accommodation. There's 240 kids in the school. Uh, we just opened up our first school in Nepal after the earthquake. Um, I was in Kathmandu when the earthquake hit, so I was there hands-on when it happened. Uh, just had come out of the, the Everest region. And, you know, with this South Pole project, we're looking at, um, we're looking at linking in with a couple of big organizations to you know, raise awareness for education in, in Africa and the, and um, Southeast Asia. So we really have, you know, for me, that's, I'm passionate, I'm an ambassador for a charity that started in Shankill that's now branched out into Australia and the UK and, and uh, the States. And I get, I, I'm in London actually on the 18th of April speaking about Everest. Um, and I get, you know, we go into a room and we can raise, excuse me, a lot of money on in one day. Um, so there's a responsibility when we do these things to kind of to uh, use it as an avenue to uh, help other people. M my goal is to help other people, definitely with education. But like some of the other guys, um, one of them wants to really inspire a, a whole nation. One of the guys is coming from Qatar, where no one is doing this type of thing. So, um, you know, there's real opportunities in these things. And I always think, especially with Everest, where your life is right on the line and you know it, uh, they're very selfish endeavors. Um, even this project, you know, training here at Altitude in, in Colorado, you know, there's snow on the ground, they got minus temperatures. The people around me suffer because of it. But um, I always kind of feel that whenever we do these things, there's some... Um, well, there's always a personal benefit, and there's a team benefit, and there's there's a, a lot of learning to be had um, in pushing yourself out of your comfort zone um, in anything, whether it's climbing a mountain or going to Antarctica or doing anything out of your comfort zone is worthwhile. Uh, but doing something of real value for other people is is um, a privilege and something I, I'm passionate about doing. And um, I suppose that's the that's the project in a nutshell. Um, but I suppose that's it's a big challenge where we start in November 2017. So we have a lot of preparation to do, a lot of training to do. And um, we gotta got to get at it. And uh, hi, Ian. It's uh, Graham again. Um, just w wondering, uh, like, yeah, you answered why, I mean, why you get involved and why you got involved. But I suppose, hey, what, what, what was the first thing that got you kind of saying to yourself, yes, I want to be an adventurer? 
Um, there's not many adventures coming out of Ireland, is there? Would I be right in saying that? There's, there's, there's a, you know, per capita, there's probably more than um, most countries would have, um, and and world, you know, world renowned people coming out of Ireland doing amazing things. All right, um, we we'll, we seem to have lost in there, but we will try to get them back now. Um, let's see. Sorry, guys, not sure what happened there. No, we lost you. Sorry about that, Ian. Uh, yeah, we we were just I just asked there, and um, how did how did you get involved? Like with, I assume there wasn't that many um, kind of adventures coming out of Ireland. I actually do remember in primary school though, um, in the mid nineties, we were always. Not always, but we we were doing a project on Everest, and we were listening to an Irishman. I can't even remember the, his name, but we were listening to him on RT Radio after finishing his his adventure. Um, yeah, uh, back in the, back the, back then. So yeah, that was interesting. Would would, would someone like that have inspired you to do so, or what? What got you involved? Yeah, no, I think when I look back on you know. Like the last 20, you know, when I finished school at 18, I'm almost 38. I'm 38 this year, so that's, you know, 20 years ago. Um, I was lucky enough, and I think in Europe in general, like compared to the States here where people are working like crazy, um, and then they have college debt when they come out of college and they have to get straight to work to, to start paying off those big loans. Um, you know, I went to the States during the summer. Uh, I worked in London my first year out of college. Then I went back to the States three years in a row. Um, and I came back with money every time, put me through college. And then I had some money when I finished. And I went off traveling around the world. And I had been, like, guiding different hikes and different trips since I was probably 16, 17. And um, I kind of, I don't know, I always wanted to make money. <laughs> but uh, I wanted to have a better life for myself. And I, I think... Um, I thought I would get that through, you know, working in a company and, and uh, although I make less money now, uh, money isn't that important to me as as, he, as it was in my focus in my 20s. And I think when I traveled and I saw a lot more and I saw what the world was possibly more like outside of where I lived, um, I definitely had a, you know, the travel was a big element of, of, of the desire to see more and do more, you know, and Possibly even when I was a kid, you know, I was in the Scouts and, and we used to go off cycling around Wicklow when we were like 13, 14 for days on end. Anytime we got, we would go off surfing, taking trips, doing just random stuff, just trying to get as much experience and doing different things as I possibly could. And um, I think after traveling after university, then I was like, you know what, I need to – I need to um, – developed my climbing skills i went when i was in university in glasgow i used to go up into the highlands and was climbing and hiking and and doing a lot of that stuff so there was a mixture of that when i went off traveling it was a lot of hiking and off backpacking and off off kind of trail stuff and climbing and i suppose just over time after working for different people and seeing what maybe the real world was like um, and people stabbing you in the back and not giving you credit where credit is due and the kind of the corporate world that or even just the business world uh, didn't really inspire me uh, or even companies that I worked for weren't inspiring me to, to want to, uh, you know, do something to the best of my ability because I felt I wasn't being looked after properly. So I think at some, I think when I was in my mid twenties, um, 
I think it was 2005. We were in, I was in Peru on a three week trip and um, we were on the Inca trail to Machu Picchu, which is a trip we just came back from. We just actually um, filmed there and our video, our Machu Picchu video has just got under half a million views on Facebook. Um, so it's amazing. Ten, you know, 10 years later going back to somewhere where I struggled to walk um, because I had lost a lot of my fitness. Um, I was kind of then going, Oh, hang on a second. Um, I need to take on it, you know, get myself back in shape. And we were in Peru and this girl was on the back of a bus talking about climbing Everest. And, um, I was like, yeah, geez, we could, if she thinks she could do, maybe we could do. And I was there with a friend of mine who eventually two years later, we, we went on to, to climb Everest. So, um, there was something always in me to want something more and something different. And I'm always trying different things. I've been involved in turnaround business projects, um, analyzing other people's businesses and, and doing, you know, and it's a couple of, I've done what, six startups. Um, so I'm always interested in different things. And I think pushing the limits and pushing out there and trying new things, I was always into that. So when the, when the option came to kind of, to develop my guiding uh, qualifications and get out into the Alps and into the States um, and, and then set up the trekking company, I was like, I just wanted it. That's what I wanted. And so I kind of had made the decision before Everest that I was going to take a new path in my mid twenties. I was like, I'm going to go after this and try and become a full-time adventurer, if you want to call it that, but also making a living out of it. So I think there was just, some people have a desire to be, whatever they want to be. And I think, you know, you don't have to be the most educated person. You don't have to, you know, you got to just be from the early days, be trying new things and pushing yourself out there and learning and learning from every experience and then trying to apply it to something that makes sense. Um, and for me, the traveling elements, the trekking, the climbing, um, you know, that's what I was, that's what I liked. I had put in so much preparation and training and, uh, I just wanted to, that's what I wanted to do. And, you know, I've been lucky enough to climb Kilimanjaro 19 times, lead uh, 16 treks into base camp, climb Island Peak seven times, which is like a 6,000 meter peak, Everest, um, tons of Himalayan peaks, um, and, and go trekking, climbing all over the world. And when you see people like, I, I took a 72 year old from Mead up Kilimanjaro, um, which was phenomenal experience. I took last year was with a guy from California who had waited 40 years to get to, to base camp and just kind of had an epiphany and just was just blown away by the whole experience. And to, to be a part of that um, and to be a part of people and, you know, having these experiences just amazing. Um, and as I said, you know, I get to be my own boss. No one's telling me what to do other than my wife. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it's great. It's a gift and it's a privilege and I don't take it for granted. And um, it's just an exciting way to live. We get one shot at life. And I think for a long time in my 20s, I probably didn't believe I was good enough to do anything. Um, and as you build confidence and you build experience, it, that's what gives you the, the ability to step out and do things. And and if you know, I always say that when I do my talks, um, and I speak all over the world now, to in the states more so than anywhere. Um, you know, I see people nervous or anxious or asking questions, and they're worried about this and fearful about this, and all these things need to be just thrown aside. And you need people need to step out and and uh, face down 
you know, if you want to go and do something like Everest, you know, how do you do it? You you start looking at what it takes physically to get there, what it takes financially to get there, what it takes um, climbing-wise to get there, the time, you know. And if you're willing to make sacrifices and you're willing to push out um, out of your comfort zone, uh, anything is possible. You know, I was 29 when I climbed Everest. Um, it probably took me four years to kind of step out there and, and really believe that we could do it. Um, but now, like, you know, nothing is impossible when you actually achieve things. And I think that's the, the benefits that, that I've seen. You know, you, people don't have to be the smartest people in the world. Um, they just have to get out there, build their knowledge, build their skill set yeah. as much as they possibly can and then try and position themselves in a place where they can they can um, get what they want. Um, and you just have to go after it like you. there's nothing else that you want more. Um, and maybe then when you get there, you don't want it and you want something else and you go after that. You go after that. And that's, you know, life is there to be taken, to be had. And um, I just have been lucky to, you know, there's no, people always ask me, what's, you know, what's the secret to this and the secret to, there is, it's really just down to experience. I just got off the phone with a girl in Minnesota who's like, wants to go and climb this peak, Island Peak. It's 20,000 feet in the Himalayas. And, you know, I just, it'll be interesting to see because she's so fearful about what, oh, I don't know if I can do it and I don't know about this and, you know, if she goes away and goes on a climbing course and then she goes on a mountaineering course and then she starts training and she develops her training and starts educating herself on the preparation before long in six months time, she could be like, yeah, I'm ready to go. And then in six months after that, she could climb that mountain. So it, 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 you either decide to do something or you decide not to. And most people, because of whatever reason, because of financial reasons or family issues or wherever their background is, they, they struggle maybe financially to have the money or to have the will to to kind of step out but to me that was what it was all about Just step out learn as much as you can pull information from everywhere you possibly can um seek out good people have good people around you and and um anything is possible so i i, I say that now you when i don't when i don't make it to the south pole next year you'll be back onto me going what went wrong <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> none of these things can ever go the way we want them to go you know we we step out and, and to me it's about whether we get to the south pole or not and set a new route to me it's not about that to be able to do something that no one's ever done before to even put yourself in that position um that's a that's a victory uh in my book and it, for me it's about learning you're you you're learning things about yourself and about other people and about um that you can apply to to the to other things that we do so yeah, um, I probably um, answered probably about ten questions in one. But. <laughs> we're, we're taking questions off as you go there. It's great. Um, with regard to Everestinian, um, when you reached the summit at the time, you were the youngest Irish man to have ever reached the summit. Can you kind of tell us a bit about what it was like actually on the mountain? At this stage, a vast majority of people would have seen the, the film Everest that came out yeah. last year about the '96 disaster. You were climbing it over a decade after that. Yeah, you know, you hear things about kind of the the bodies on Everest and the dark side of Everest and that kind of thing. You mentioned fear a minute ago about that girl who you're talking to on the phone. Yeah. Was fear an element of kind of the higher you went, the more you kind of went into a zone of, oh, what is this? Um, it's a that's a really good question. Um, I would say absolutely. Um, if I was to go back there now. 
Um, and I'm, I'm, I have a meeting actually in Dublin on Tuesday for an Irish team, or some of them, most of them are Irish, looking to go to Everest in 2020. Um, experience is everything. And I had no experience above 23,000 feet. And on Everest, actually, li- literally, I'll talk in meters now because I'm speaking to Irish, but I'm sick of, I'm speaking in feet all the time because I'm in the States. Um, <laughs> the metric system and all that, yeah. And, yeah. But in, in, in reality, on Everest, you know, above five and a half thousand meters. So base camp is positioned at 5,364 meters. It's it's actually strategically positioned there because above five and a half thousand meters, you enter what's called the lower realm of the death zone. So nobody lives above five and a half thousand meters. Nothing survives above five and a half thousand meters. And nobody can even adjust to the lack of oxygen in that realm above that height. So you're putting your life on the line um, every time you go above five and a half thousand meters because your body can't fully adjust. Uh, to even adjust to altitude below 3,000 meters, it takes five years for your. So when people go, "Oh, wow. I'm acclimatized," well, you're not because it takes five years to adjust to actually acclimatize to that height. Plus, people like us that come from sea level can never fully adjust to anything of really above 4,000 meters. Uh, so uh, that would never happen uh, physiologically. So. We're putting ourselves in a position where it's highly dangerous. You know, you're asking me about high on Everest. You know, we we spend two weeks getting into base camp. We're just a little bit lower, less than that. Then we spend six weeks on the mountain and slowly trying to adjust and not get sick and not pick up the high altitude issues like fluid in your brain or fluid in your lungs to put us in a position higher on the mountain so that we can get one shot um, at the top. And camp three on Everest is at you know 7,100 meters over 23,000. I'd never been above that height. So anytime you step into a realm or a place where you know people die and you know that you know the last three Irish people that went up before me all nearly died. Um, one was found behind a rock by a Sherpa. Another um, friend of mine, Ian McKeever, who passed away a few years ago, um, was went snow blind and was literally dragged off the mountain. And a guy from Northern Ireland who had cerebral edema and fluid in his brain. And all these things are in your head. Like you're seeing bodies on the mountain. You're moving up into this higher realm, you know, above 8,000 meters, which is literally, they call it the death zone, where nobody really knows. But you might, if you were up there more than 48 hours, um, you mightn't have the energy to get back down again. Um, you're, you know you're on the limit. You know your life is on the line at every step. I felt it quite, uh, um, quite a lot. You know, we were higher on the mountain as you move up in the dark. It was electrical storms into China. The ridge is, you know, there's no real exposure until you get higher up onto this, the south summit of Everest, which is um, 8,700 meters. Um, and then when I got there, I, I was scared out of my mind. Uh, there was really there was only six people ahead of me. There was very few people behind me. I was there with an, a Sherpa on my own, sitting there. Um, it was sun was just coming up, and I remember stepping out onto the ridge where I had just walked past bodies. Thirty people have died on this ridge, all from lack of oxygen. Uh, you know, in the movie they showed, you know, Rob Hall turning Doug Hansen or like letting him go to the top um, yeah. at that height, which killed both of them. Um, you know, and you're you're in this place, and all these things are going through your mind. Like you're trying to focus on the positive and focus on the fact that 
it only took me seven hours to get here and the Sherpa's tapping you on the back saying very strong it's one hour to go and I felt lucid felt very aware yes my back was sore my legs were sore I was fatigued and tired and wanted to fall asleep but you know <laughs> you 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 know you're you're in this kind of heightened state of focus and when you're in that zone you're focused on what's in front of you and you forget about I've forgotten about what happened an hour before that because it was wasn't important anymore but I stepped out onto that ridge where I know 30 people have lost their lives you're high in Everest you've got one shot at us there's a guy ahead of me on the ridge shouting out it's Martin I'm blind and it was our Scottish friend Martin who was hypocrite sick um had lost his eyesight because your your brain is oh swelling um and it you know sometimes you're looking at people and their eyes look like they're about to pop out their head it's because their brain is swelling so much his oxygen mask froze you know because it's minus 30 and it was freezing cold um but i remember walking over there and he nearly stepped off the ridge and if he had stepped off he would have we were all on the same rope he would have pulled us off the mountain wow and we would have been just another statistic of you know four or five people died on everest um and nobody would have known any different but like the reality is that you know it but you can when you go there when you read the you read books or you see the movie or you know there's this romantic idea maybe the movie isn't so romantic because people are dying all over you know all over the place but (laughs) you know people go there with that idea that you know mallory and hillary and standing at the highest point and it's all romantic and grace and it's absolutely horrendous you know it's a you know that we we have an expression you know feeling on top of the world oh, i feel on top of the world you know well if th- that makes no sense to me because when you're on top of the world you feel like absolute crap <laughs> um, you don't feel good at all you just want to get the hell out of there did you go through any and storms in we yeah we got stuck in a storm lower down um, and like people were getting frostbite there was one guy who fell and his testicles were yanked up into his body there was people come broken legs broken arms frostbite in their face my hand we got hit in a storm just out of nowhere and my hands froze um and we had to get down fast and i ended up with like a little bit of frost nip on my fourth finger and um but that can happen and you you know you this the risks high on the mountain are like nothing below and you like base camp is literally a walk in the park compared to what you're experiencing up here on, on the mountain, you know, and you're going through that ice fall and you're crossing those 60 foot ladder or eight, uh, 68 foot ladders. And you're, some of them are one ladder. When you went in the first time, the next time you go in there two or there three or where there was a ladder. Now there's no ladder. And then some of them are bouncing up and down with massive drops all around you. Then you're high in the mountain with, you know, when you when I stepped out, when that guy went blind, Martin, you know, it's a 10,000 foot drop on your right hand side and an 8,000 foot Jesus. drop on your left. And you can see both sides. So it's a half a meter wide ridge. Um, and literally when we were maneuvering him around us, you know, <laughs> I was like sitting right up on the edge of the, the top of the, the ridge. And I was just like, this is just lunacy. And um, you can tell like. I. You know, when you go there beforehand, everyone goes, oh, you know, they're leaving bodies and people are walking past bodies. And, you know, the reality is, as you they even say, it, you feel like you're 100 years old Um, your PO2 level, your oxygen level is like worse than anything you'll find in intensive care. Like literally your body is dying. Uh, You can barely move yourself to mind move anyone else. And um, literally when you're up there, you know, you're just trying to get to the top. You're trying to get 
you're trying to do that and then you're trying to get the hell out of there and um yeah i was scared out of my mind it was a you know there was a guy in a tent died a swiss climber died in a tent next to us you know there was bodies that you're kind of stepping around then your friend is going blind my buddy graham who started out on the journey the two of us together had to turn around lower above he was made it to the summit night but had to turn around high in the mountain he started seeing double and he had cracked two ribs from coughing so much um because the air is so dry and so cold and it's just painful and it's it's can um even, can you even celebrate when you get to the top <laughs> uh well you like it's funny because you you might see people in the movie and they put their hands up in the air and some people do that and they hug whoever they're with but i'm not sure it's a real like i i was enjoyed it for i don't know maybe a split second and i was like i can't believe that i'm here um what an amazing experience look at the views and i'm handing out my video because we shot a film the document 52 minute documentary uh, that people can actually buy in 53 degrees north in Carrick Mines if they're interested. Um, and when I handed those um, cameras off, and then I'm taking pictures, random pictures, and there was one guy with a temperature gauge, and it's like minus 45 Fahrenheit. Um, I didn't even notice that it was cold because you're you're just focused on not making any mistakes. So when, like, I, yeah, I enjoyed it for a split moment, but my instinct was get the hell out of there. You know, there was 20 gusts of 20 mile an hour winds. It was cold. Um, and, I, you know, <laughs> I think for me, mountaineering is like anything. When we're on the top of Kilimanjaro, you know, a couple of weekends ago, or we're we climbing something in the Alps, it's retrospective. So you, 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 you set out to achieve it and then you can enjoy it later when you're you're down safe because on, especially on Everest you're the summit really isn't the summit the summit is when you get back down to safety um so yeah when I came back down to the camp four um on Everest at, at 8,000 meters I remember just having a probably the biggest release of emotion that I've ever had in my life and just started crying out of sheer relief uh not that I had achieved it but that I was down safe um and then I suppose as, as you kind of move your way back down the mountain and come through the icefall, which can kill you at any moment, and you get back to base camp, I suppose that's when you really can enjoy it. But it's also hard to enjoy it when your friend that you've been training with for two years and preparing for didn't make it. So you can't be running around, uh, <laughs> I made it to the top, and then your you know, best friend since we were nine years old didn't make it. So it's... Um, has, has your friend ever... It's maybe not what I thought it was going to be. I think I, th I thought oh, I was going to be amazing and we're both going to do it and it's going to be great. And uh, More than not, the memories were harsh because it's a harsh place. It's a nasty environment. And it's, um, you know, the, the, the experience definitely changed me. Um, you know, because on a load of different levels like because pe people think of everest as this iconic thing and it is an iconic mountain because it's the highest in the world but the experiences are what make things real and the experience was was not always the best um, we didn't see the best of other people on the mountain we didn't see the best of um the experience but you come back and you you apply that to to the real world and it kind of gives a different perspective on on what's important and what's not and um you know mountains and everest and whatever that brings um i think it's important to to not not the fame or you know i just wanted to make sure that there was wisdom from it 
that there was yeah. insight that it actually meant something that there was something that I could because people always keep asking me why don't you write a book about it and I was like well I'm not going to write a book about it or anything until I feel like there's some value in it for someone else um, that the experience that I learned over a 20 or 30 year period now makes sense uh, to someone that's possibly in their early 20s trying to figure something out uh, so I, I would never churn out some book just to, to, to get sales or make money off it or um, there would have to be some reason behind it. And I think that helped me figure out why what's important. And that's why adventures are important, because they can really test you, show you who you are, and show, and then and then you use it, you apply it. Um, so, yeah, we had some harsh experiences, some, some dangerous moments on the mountain and people dying around us. Um, well, yeah, you come back and you, you, it's, you know, you, you move on and it's something that's been done and you, uh, you use it for the betterment of yourself and for people around you. And then you, that's what it's all about. I think, I don't think it's, it's about anything other than that. You mentioned there that the experience was a little bit, I don't know, sullied, I guess. Um, because whereas you made it to something, your friend didn't, has your friend ever gone back to try it again or was it kind of, once is enough type shot um i think it you know we could ask him that question and he might give a different answer but i think from my you know i remember we we he works in google now in dublin and um google were heading up a google mapping now you might have read about it or heard about it they were mapping everest back in 2014 yeah i remember that yeah and they were going to bring the big camera. And I remember when we were in the in the region trekking up there, there was I could I saw the camera. And Graham was supposed to head up that expedition with five other I think it was five other Google um, people, some of them executives, different levels. And they were training in um, uh, Washington State here on Mount Rainier in the states. And then they were climbing Karstens, which is one of the seven summits um, in Papua New Guinea. Uh, one of the highest mountains on each continent. And then they were doing some other stuff. And at some point, I think he had uh, met his wife, now wife. And I think he was kind of like, he everything would have been paid for. Like So he was going back. It was work too. So he would have been getting paid from work and everything would have been taken care of. And he would get a chance to climb Everest and do something cool, like being the first people to map it. So... Yeah. I think that was quite enticing and he was into the stages of doing it. And then I think he, he decided that it wasn't for him. And I, I'm glad that it wasn't because, you know, in 2014 there was a massive avalanche um, in the ice fall or a big Serac came off and, and killed 15 Sherpas. Yeah. Um, my head Sherpa who I'm going to see now in a few weeks in Nepal was 15 minutes ahead of that in the ice fall. And he now doesn't, he won't go back to Everest after that experience. Wow. And he just, he leads, he's out leading a trek for us now to base camp right now. And he's uh, probably in the top climb, 100 climbers in the world. Phenomenal uh, Sherpa climber. And, um, you know, he leads climbs and treks for us now. But, you know, I think Graham then, like, then there was the the goal to go back in 2015. And he decided not to go. Um, and then I think one of the Google executives um, died in base camp last April, the 25th of April, when the an avalanche came off the back of base camp and ripped through the tents, and and he died. So uh, I think I think after those, I think after you know getting married and, and um, 
those incidents over the last couple of years, I think maybe that's made his mind up. Uh, I don't know. Maybe in a, a decade's time, he might decide that no, he needs to do it, and and uh, you know, he he might go back. Um, so I don't, you know, I think I'm sure he's toyed with the idea. You know, when you, I know for myself, if I hadn't have done it, I definitely would have been back the next year. Um, you know, I would have, have, have applied what I what I. Unless it was altitude related, unless I, there was, because a lot of people can go up there and they just can't adapt. Their bodies just can't adapt. Um, I think you'd have to learn that, but you don't want to learn that the hard way either by going back and getting sick again and getting in trouble and risking your life and other people's lives. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think you have to either you, you have like people have we fail at things. We we can't be successful all the time, and I think it's what you do. With the learning, you know, I had a girl last year from the Philippines who works in Hong Kong, who she, it's an amazing story actually right now because she, you know, she's a homemaker. She works for a British family in Hong Kong cleaning their home and she has this, had this dream forever to go to the Himalayas and um, she went up to Island Peak, which is 20,000 feet or 6,000, just under 6,200 meters. She didn't make it last year with us and um, she could have easily you know, she would have been the first Filipino. She would have been, you know, someone coming from her background. Uh, but she scraped the money somehow. She scraped gear. She got, we talked about sponsorship as we're walking down from the mountain after the rest of the group climbed it and she didn't. We're talking about how she can get back there next year. Well, anyway, long story short, she's got a documentary being filmed about her um, on her life and on her as a homemaker um, or a, a Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Someone that looks, <laughs> she's just, a, she cleaned somebody's home in Hong Kong. Mad. And, um, you know, she's coming back now to climb Island Peak and there's a documentary being filmed about her. She's got sponsorship from the North Face. And it's like, you know, she'll come back and she'll do it because, well, I hope she's going to do it. We're going back. She's coming back on the same trip with us this year. And, you know, she picked herself up, you know, figured out where she went wrong and is going to go back and try it. And uh, sometimes you can, like for Graham, you can put those things to bed and go, look, it just wasn't meant to be. And there was things that went against me. Uh, and, you know, I'm quite happy with that. And I'll move on to the next thing, um, like which is marriage, which is probably a bigger expedition than any of these things. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, my wife, she's not listening right now. But, uh, you know, and, and then this girl from Hong Kong who's like – from the Philippines who has nothing, who's trying to better herself and do, you know, and, and when you push out, as I said in the beginning, you push out and do these things, you know, now she's got a documentary. She's already started to speak about it. Maybe she climbs the mountain. Maybe she goes on and does something else. And it all adds value. And, and, and people are out there pushing themselves and testing themselves. You know, that's, that's what life is all about. My, you know, if you're not living on the edge um you're not really living and when people really step out of their comfort zones and get into it um it's amazing what can be done so it's amazing for me watching these people decide and not decide and people i've seen go up there and not do it and then just you know that's it walk away um and do something else and be successful at that but it's using the experience you know not as a negative but as a positive and, and it takes a certain character to do that and I think Graham has that character. Uh, this girl from the Philippines has it. And, um, you know, he certainly applied himself professionally and has done very well. So, um, you know, there's, I don't know, you could get him on and talk about yeah. not climbing it. 
it's because everyone always wants to listen to the people that have climbed it. Um, but um, you know, and that's the that's the biggest issue with Everest is that people always go, "Oh, did you make it to the top?" Well, yeah or no. Well, if you did, then they're interested. If they're not, if you didn't, then nobody really cares. <laughs> so um, that's that's what drives people though too, because it you you know it'll drive people to be better the more those questions are asked. But it definitely is a a societal issue of like you know not um, you know it's just looking at people that have achieved and it should be looking at people that didn't and what went wrong and using those experiences to better other people's um, chances of achieving things because you know sometimes in the achieving we don't learn as much because we were successful um, it's when you're not it's when you're you can learn more you know I always find it fascinating having watched a lot of the, the documentaries and even the movie and now talking to yourself um, I always find it fascinating the amount of bodies that are still there I mean it, what, what what's it like to actually when you're doing the walk or the climb and and you walk you climb you walk past one? Is that like do you have time to think about it or take it in or? Um, I think you think about it beforehand and you're kind of really just thinking that I don't want to be there. Um, but then you're in this kind of heightened state of focus. So everything that's it's like in a in a business meeting or in a business setting or any setting. Right now you're to, you're focused on getting your questions answered. And you're not really thinking about, um, you know, where you're going out to eat or go, <laughs> where you're going later on. Um, you're focused on what's in front of you and you, you have to be in that frame of mind. So when you see something, you see a body and it's not like they're lying there with their eyes wide open, staring you in the face, almost whispering at you saying, don't do it. <laughs> or look what happened to me. <laughs> it's not like that. It's kind of a strange thing. You know, what was worse when I was in Kathmandu, uh, when the earthquake hit, and four days after the earthquake, we were able to get out and get the motor motorbike running because uh, it was under rubble uh, and go out and film in Kathmandu. And I remember going to this hotel and the police let me in for some reason. I was trying to take footage of showing what was wrong. And then there was like two bodies on the ground and one of them was in half and they lifted up the, the um, what was covering them was like a carpet. And... I, to me, that was way worse. Seeing that, that haunted me for months. Um, seeing that horrific scene on the streets of Kathmandu four days after an earthquake and they hadn't even moved the bodies. So I was not expecting to see that and I was not expecting to have that experience and it was quite, quite, it was a terrible one where when you're on the side of the mountain, you know there's bodies there. You know you know where some of them are and you know some of them are right off the route. Um, your focus is on something else. And your focus is on getting up and getting down and managing yourself, you know, lower, even walking in for people that try to base camp with us, you know, maybe every hour they're kind of like, how do I feel, you know, I'm moving forward in the trek and we're almost at the goal and you're getting to base camp and you can have a chat with someone and hang around and take some pictures. Well, up here, it's every five seconds you're checking in with yourself. Am I, you know, you saw in the movie people taking off their clothes because they were hypoxic because your brain is functioning on a whole different level. You know, I'm checking in with myself every 10 seconds going, you know, am I okay? Do I feel okay? I'm worrying about that and thinking about how I'm doing. I don't really care about somebody that's lying on the ground um, that's that died there. It's not. It's maybe a factor afterwards, but it really didn't impact me the way I, the ish, the, what I experienced in Kathmandu after the earthquake did to me. Um, yeah. So, like you, you know, bodies are there. You, 
don't want to be there and you focus in on making sure that you're doing the right things and every step that you're taking, you're making sure you're, everything is functioning properly and you're performing the way you should be. Um, and, uh, I th- you know, I remember sitting down right beside Scott, F- Scott Fisher's body because it's right off the trail and, like, the Sherpa was filming actually around that area and caught the, the his body on the uh, on the video. And, wow. you know, I didn't really think too much about it. I was like, I need to get down. I can see the tents. Let's get up and keep moving. So really the focus wasn't on uh, bodies or thinking about seeing them or when I did see them, you know, it would have been more horrific if something had happened right in front of my face where somebody literally fell down and died. And and then we, you know, we had to try and rescue them. Or when Martin went blind, that was more horrific than um, seeing somebody that's already dead in the snow. So it didn't really bother me and it didn't really affect me uh, in any real way. Uh, probably after, afterwards I thought about it a little bit. But yeah. um, You mentioned that part of the reason that you, you climbed Everest and that you do some of the things you do, charity work and the Fields of Life charity. So yeah. you, you guys build schools and that kind of thing. Where can people learn more about that or donate to that or, or whatever the case may be if, they're, if you've piqued their interest, if you'll pardon that pun? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it, like the Fields of Life based uh, actually started in Shankill, so not too far from where you're sitting right now. It was a guy who um, had an agricultural background, went out to Uganda in 1993 um, and actually saw the need for education. Um, and since then, over a 20-year period, they've built over 113 schools, put 50,000 children through schools in Uganda um, Rwanda, Burundi, and now they're working into North uh, Uganda, where Kony used to operate with his um, those child slaves running around with guns. Um, they're kind of working into these kind of poor areas. Um, they we have a, a a challenge now to bring a million people clean water by 2020 in East Africa, and um, you know we're I'm raising awareness through that, and we're they're doing a lot of work on it. So like in Fields of Life, we're now based in Northern Ireland and England and uh, Australia. And anyone oh, yeah. can get on their websites and look at what they're doing. Their website's fieldsoflife.org. Uh, they can get in touch with me at iantaylortrekking.com. And um, through our trekking company, um, we and we send, we do like 20 trips to, uh, to the Himalayas every year and about 10 trips to Kilimanjaro and trips to South America and all over the place. Um, we donate money to the ongoing development of the Mount Everest Primary School, which we built off the back of Everest. Yeah. And then I'm just an ambassador for the charity. Uh, as I was saying, I, I'm speaking in London, I think, for them on the 18th, and we hope to raise you know a couple of hundred thousand on the day. Um, and yeah, if people, we, I sponsor a child myself at the Mount Everest School. If anyone goes onto our website and goes onto um, our services and they look at motivational presentations uh, there's a video there from the school we went and filmed there back in 2009 and um, or sorry the school opened in 2009 we were filming there in, in 2013 and uh, yeah if people want to sponsor children uh, even take on a challenge and raise enough money to build a school uh, that would be amazing but fieldsoflife.org is a great they're just great guys they when we were raising money um, and to develop the organization, they've moved their overheads up, but only to 10%. Uh, they were 5% uh, 
So 5% of the money that has been raised was going to to administration. Now it's 10%, which I think is reasonable. You know, with some Irish charities at 20, 30, 40, yeah. God knows what else. When people are, and even people going out trekking um, on different trips for different charities, you know, they're going out raising money and paying for their holidays. Um, and then only really a small fraction of the money is going to the charity. Um, and I think, you know, with, with fields of life, all the money is going on the ground to make a difference and we've seen it i've seen it from a, a shack in the middle of nowhere to uh you know kids now when they're sponsored when we pay 20 euro a month they're getting a meal every day they're getting their tuition paid for they got uniforms they get books they're getting an education and you know with 50 40 000 kids in education right now and another 50 uh, that have gone through fields of life schools, you know, they're in 20 years. That's just incredible. Um, and they're, I, I was always skeptical of charities and, you know, um, where the money goes. And, you know, these, I was really impressed with these guys and what they were doing. So, you know, in Nepal, we just, we set up a trust, the Goli village trust after the earthquake for a remote village where all our staff come from, because we have our own staff on the ground um, in Kathmandu. Um, so we've, I think we've sent about thirty-five thousand dollars there. Um, oh, it takes about eleven, eleven and a half thousand dollars to build a school. Um, so we built one school. We're going to build another one. We have to build a community center and a health outpost. And um, yeah, we hope to send about a hundred thousand there in the next. Uh, we have a trek actually that goes out to the village, and we're encouraging people to to trek and bring money. So you know, the government in Nepal is so corrupt. Um, it's worse than. Maybe some charity agencies, they, they take all your money and they, nothing goes anywhere. So, you know, bringing money to Nepal is, is the only way to do it. And we were able to send money directly to the ground. Our guys that head up our office have been able to take some time off and go up and, and make sure that the work has, been, work has happened. And we just sent pictures uh, of the school and the kids back in school in Nepal um, out to all the people that were donating. So... Yeah, if people want to help in Nepal, they can get in touch with me uh, directly at theintailortrekking.com. If you want to get in touch with Fields of Life directly, get in touch with fieldsoflife.org. And, um, yeah, even if people want to trek with us or they don't or they just want to get involved, um, I'd love to talk to anyone that's interested in doing that sort of stuff. So you can feel free to call me at any stage. And um, theintailortrekking.com as well. And I was seeing that... uh you even give people a ch- chance to get to base camp for free as well, so they should check out that as well if they're looking at the <laughs> yeah. big group. Like, that's, that's yeah, a hell of an yeah, offer. We, it's my, we actually do it on Kilimanjaro too. So we, um, you know, if, if anyone is out there, and this is where people can get really creative, you know, get onto LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Twitter, local hiking clubs, local newspapers, and start yeah. uh, gathering people to come on a trip. Uh, but also we right now what's happening is you it's mostly kind of groups of people um and once people have 10 people coming on the trip um we'll give a space away for free some people take the space for free if they've gathered gathered all the people or else they spread the discount across the group um but yeah if anyone has 10 people that want to go to base camp or go to kilimanjaro or even machu picchu uh get in touch and we'll give you a free space amazing um and lastly just the motivational speaking and that will you be doing any of that while you're over in ireland have you got any talks coming up around i'm actually i'm yeah i'm speaking at the uh, at the tropical medical well these are not motivational or everest presentations but i'm uh, i'm speaking at tropical medical bureau on monday at six o'clock on grafton street about trekking to everest base camp and climbing kilimanjaro 
And then on Tuesday night, I'm speaking in Carrick Mines in 53 degrees north at 7 o'clock. Um, oh, brilliant. We might pop along for that ourselves. Yeah. I'm climbing Island Peak and Mirror Peak, two of those Himalayan peaks that are above 20,000 feet in the, in the Himalayas. One's up near Everest and one has probably – the Mirror Peak has probably one of the best Himalayan mountains views you could ever have. It's absolutely out of this world. And so I'm speaking on that. And then the next day I fly out to Norway. I think the next Everest presentation I gave is in London um, and then in the States. So, yeah, I'm available to any companies out there that are interested in having me come in and speak. Absolutely. IanTaylorTracking.com. You can get in touch with me directly from there. And you're on Twitter and that as well and, and Facebook and all that as well, eh? Yeah, we have our Facebook page. It's just Ian Taylor Trekking. Uh, I think the Twitter one is Everest Climber, but it's at Ian Taylor Trekking. And, uh, yeah, people can get in touch with us all those different ways uh, or even just pick up the phone. And and uh, although I'm not going to be around for a couple of months, <laughs> um, you can at least drop me in, drop me an email. And uh, or my we've got staff here that can that can manage things while I'm not here. So feel free to get in touch and uh, we'd love to hear from you. Amazing. Well, Ian, just want to say thanks so much. Really enjoyed that. Um, all the best with the fundraising um, and the other expeditions. And hopefully we'll talk to you again before uh, the South Pole one. Um, but, yeah, that'll be great. But uh, yeah, wish you all cool. the best with everything, man. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks very much once again. Yeah, thank you. Cheers, guys. Take Thanks, care, Ian. Ian. All the best. Bye-bye. Um, so there you have it. Then. Um, that was Ian Taylor. Absolutely amazing. I really enjoyed that, man. Absolutely fascinating. Um, he definitely just seems like a guy who puts his mind to something and just wants it in and goes for it. You know what yeah, I mean? It was excellent. I was mesmerised by some of the talking and some great, great, great material. <laughs> yeah, like he he just puts it so candidly and very speaks candidly, so so very, openly about um, it. Like, but in a in a kind of very decent way. I thought in a like. decent way, but I don't want to say. I don't, I don't, and I don't mean it's derogatory, but kind of real flippant, real, yeah, real pub talk. But it's like here, you're climbing Everest here, pal. <laughs> yeah, I know, know. Yeah, and almost a bit of modesty, like, I suppose. Um, yeah, he he almost kind of like I was just one bloke on a mountain kind of thing, which yeah. was <laughs> incredible. Like if I climbed Everest, I'd be like, did I ever tell you about the time I was on top of the world? Did I ever tell you about? Yeah, ever tell you about the time that I was like uh, the highest person ever? It like, also tells us though as well, like the dangers and climbing that bloody mountain because it's not as if you're counting up the sugar loaf <laughs> and you're you're yeah. prancing about and you're sitting there for half an hour, forty five minutes, you're taking in in the view, you're taking photographs, you're taking selfies. None of that going up to Everest. Like you're literally if you've seen any of the documentaries or seen the movie, you're up there and a, an adventurer might get to plant their flag in the in the in the snow and then you're gone. It's not, it's not, it's, like you said, you're, you're putting your, you're putting your body through so much yeah. in 48 hours that it's survive or stay there forever. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, even there when you saw it, like Scott Fisher uh, from Mountain Madness, he was one of the, he was one of the guys that was involved in the 96 disaster, disaster. along with Rob Hall, um, him, Rob Hall uh, was adventure consultants, I think's the name of his company and they were the two <sighs> rivals maybe isn't the best word to use because at I the think end it's of the day to say but you know they definitely had two different sort of styles scott fisher was more of a kind of cool kind of like 
you know, like Mountain Madness kind of says it all about the name, you know yeah. what I mean? But it was like absolutely, it's absolutely mad. Like he kind of just put so casually, like, yeah, I was sitting beside it, you know, like, I don't know, maybe it's because, again, it's what you're saying, like when you're in the moment up there, all you're focusing on is yourself, yeah. which I guess kind of harks back to what you're saying at the top of the show where people kind of have that, it's almost kill or be killed kind of thing yeah, yeah. where like, you can't afford to try and help somebody else. You have to help yourself. And maybe that's what it is. Like, I know they're corpses at the end of the day, but I don't know. For me, in my head, I'm kind of like, if I was sitting next to somebody in that situation, I wouldn't be able to help but focus on that. <laughs> no, I, I'd be completely removed from my own reality and going, this that, person is here for over a decade yeah. because, I don't know, man, that's mad. It, it like, says it all, though, about, you know... The mental toughness, the mental toughness that, that someone has to have, put yeah. themselves through to do that. I wouldn't have the mental toughness to do. Some people do, some people don't. But it's it's amazing the when we were asking him about um his um his friend not climbing it and he was saying like, you know, people they don't want to talk to people that failed to climb it, they'd rather talk to people that climbed it. Yeah. I mean, I think it'd be interesting too to talk to people that didn't climb it. I do get his point though. But, yeah. Um, but it's almost like a, a sportsman, uh, an individual sports uh, star, um, when they lose anything in sport, it's almost like, you know, it doesn't, that, does, that defeat doesn't create you. It's how you get back up off that defeat and how you, your results after that will define you, not just that one defeat. Do you get me? You can also put that into an adventure or a, a mountaineer or a, a climber in that sense. Yeah, 100%. Uh, also, I just need to, to clarify, we, we were speaking to Ian kind of a week removed from when this went live, so the talks that he was he was referencing there have actually already, already taken They've place. already happened. And we might, go, we'll, we might have gone to one. Yeah, yeah. If we do, we'll tell you all about it. But definitely, I'm like my interest is... is like, it's I'm like, I want, 100%. Hear, I want to hear more. Like, it's incredible, you know. I, um, I, in my one of one of the first companies I worked with, they brought us away for a weekend to um, Mount Wuse, the hotel in Carlin Tullow. And um, I think it was Ian O'Keefe that was the, Ian McKeever, Ian O'Keefe, the the adventurer that passed away. Ian McKeever, I think he said, yeah, it. I yeah. think he gave the talk at it back in 2005 or 2000, 2008. All right. No, know. 2005, 2006, uh, and he gave a talk at it, and it, it was just, I didn't want it to end, it was so interesting, and I remember even, I remember even when we were in, in primary school, and listen, yeah. listening to adventurers, and listening to um, people that are attempting to climb out the Everest, I thought it was very, very interesting, well, I, I never mean, thought it was, uh, I never thought it was such that you, it was life or death though. Yeah, like, I suppose that's the part of it that it's hard for us to comprehend, like, but, I mean, we didn't even talk to him about the fact that he's going Kilimanjaro 19 times. It, we thought it was 18, and then he mentioned, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, I was, I was there about two or three weeks ago, like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's incredible, like, this uh, dude is just, he's a rock star. Yeah, like, I know he, judging by his demeanor, he probably wouldn't call himself that ever, but, no. I mean... He is like that is an incredible life to lead. Like that is, insp- and I can see exactly why he does motivational speaking because a lot of them do, though, don't they? A lot of the successful climbers. Yeah, I think do. so. But I mean, but like even that, even the South Pole thing that he was saying at the start of the interview, like they're gonna go to a point where nobody has ever gone before, 
and try to work their way to the South Pole from there. There's a reason that people have gone from that spot because clearly that's that's the most direct and easiest route and he's going to say nah, let's let's change it up a let's bit let's change it up yeah. that oh man the mental toughness that dude has so it was a very good interview really really enjoyed really it. enjoyed that it was an absolute pleasure um and you can check out the different things that he was saying about there as well especially um that 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 skill building and the the, the fields of life the, and the, yeah the medical treatment center that in you pique your interest on that hey uh, <laughs> did you like that poem did you didn't like it i loved it <laughs> <laughs> um, but you can check out that and the 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 Kathmandu as well. He's mentioning the the yeah. guy where he has his offices and that in Nepal. Um, that's the other thing as well. If like that's it's there for the earthquake. Yeah, that's. But I mean, even that, like the, like he was saying about like his his company, Intel or Trek and the company. The fact that they have an office there with local people on the ground, like that, will tell you, you know, how serious and how kind of in they are because they're like. If you want to have the resources there, you need to have. You know what I mean? Like, and that, that I'd imagine that'd be a Sherpa village yeah. for the most part. To be an awful lot. I know he's talking about his Sherpa who managed to avoid avalanche. That, that, that avalanche and all. Like, I mean, even that kind of thing. It's just it's crazy. I don't know, it's absolutely it's crazy. crazy. It's um, almost like a a marathon runner putting so much of their life through dieting and training and perseverance. Because marathons are tests of endurance. Do you get my comparison? No. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I don't. I don't know where you're going with that. Say it again to me. No, like it's almost like a marathon runner. Like you know, like some marathon. I suppose an amateur marathon marathon runner, where they're like putting it, like their body. Somebody who's doing a couch to five k and then decides they want to do the full thing. Like. <laughs> <laughs> not as much like that but uh, my comparison is the test of endurance on your body oh I see you know sorry yeah they I get say you now marathon yeah. runner like marathons is huge test of endurance on your body some people have died doing marathons yeah they have yeah. you know don't know where I was going with that but I was just looking to fill time <laughs> you shouldn't have to fill time right? okay <laughs> edit that <laughs> no um, yeah no I, I know what you mean um so I'm, I'm actually kind of in awe of all that, to be honest. Like that, I I don't know because as we were saying at the at the very start, I've become somewhat obsessive about reading and watching stuff about this, and then actually talk to the dude who's done it and to hear his story firsthand. Like, wow, yeah, it was good. Um, look, IanTylerTracking.com, um, and get him on Twitter, get him on Facebook, and if like. I'm saying it now in the heat of the moment. I'd love to do one of them base camp things. I'd have a long way to go before I could do it. <laughs> but like... 2030 we might get you there. Yeah, but if there is people listening to it who are... Kind I of know a couple of people who have listened to our shows, mm. who, especially the Dara O'Connell one, yeah, where they've taken up jiu-jitsu because of the show. Well, so there you go. Look, you never know. You never know. know yeah. You might get someone saying... No, Danny, I'm climbing Everest. <laughs> I'm going to base camp. <laughs> yeah, um, check out his documentary DVD as well. If you're up in Carrick Mines, pop into 53 Degree North and uh, and ask for a copy of that. I think you can get it through his website as well. Like, well, I, I, I'm definitely going to go get a copy of it. Mm. Um, but look, start simple, start small. Tackle maybe like the highest peaks in Ireland. See how you get on. Cloney Hill. Start with Cloney Hill, Brighthead, <laughs> Sugarloaf, Sugarloaf, Hill, Skellig Michael. <laughs> work your way around and go do you know maybe let's look at Europe let's look at the Alps into the Alps <laughs> the Lawrence's Hill was always a mountain for me oh, I tell you I yeah. was pushing up oh. that 
of a Monday morning it, it was soul destroying, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, look, I, I was there Everest. Yeah. <laughs> Those days where the stairs and work are my Everest, you know. <laughs> um I really, really enjoyed that. I really did. It was an absolute pleasure speaking to Ian Taylor. Um, an absolute gent as well. But look, that's all the time we have for, uh, this week. So that's been fun. Thanks for listening, as um, always. Absolutely. We'll say thanks to Fitzpatrick's Castle Hotel here in Cloyne, FitzpatrickCastle.com. And um, check them out. Pop up, have a bite eat, all that crack. Great fun altogether. Walk up. That could be your test to see if you'd have what it takes or not to make it to a hill. <laughs> Walk up from Ballybrack Village <laughs> up the hill. Pass it through share. Tell the hotel we sent you as well. That would be the, the south side. And if you want to try from the north side, you can start in Docky and work your way up. You'll see what I'm doing here. See what I'm doing? I'm trying to give people, <laughs> trying to give people their own little mini yeah. South Dublin experience yeah. of, it's probably very belittling, belittling of the fact. Um, nonetheless, that is all the time we have for this week. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm blown away with it, I have to say. Uh, what a bloke. I, I, I would love to talk to him again before they set out on their South Pole. That's fascinating. Mm. Like, that's amazing. And maybe when they finish. Yeah, absolutely. And I said he's making a documentary on that as well. Even that girl did that making a documentary about yeah. that. That's the, the, the housekeeper, the, the maid or whatever it was. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I don't know. Look, I'm going to have to go off and digest this now overnight. Incredible stuff. But look, you can check us out on Facebook and on Twitter and that. Facebook or facebook.com forward slash WTS pod Ireland. Twitter, we are at WTS pod I'm at Dan John Murray. I'm at Merigamania. Well played, you got in there. Yes. Love it, well done. Um, and we're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on Podbean, Podcast Addict. Anywhere and everywhere, just search WTS Pod and uh, we'll be there with our back catalogue with other great guests and great stories and great chapters and all the crack and all the laws and all the emotions and all the feels and all the everything that you ever want in your life. We're a great bunch of lads, for don't say so myself. <laughs> Good night. Good night. God bless. God bless, lads. Until next week. <laughs>